you're listening to a very special episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live. Now, normally in our shows, we focus on the classic movies part of that equation. But recently I realized, uh, especially as we get more into our Spotify era, a lot of our listeners probably don't know very much about Heatwave Radio. Um, There was a time when pretty much all of our listeners would have come, would have known us because of our affiliation with Heatwave Radio. But as time's gone on and we've gotten further away from that, I started saying Heatwave Radio's classic movies live almost more out of habit than out of necessity. That said, the story of Heatwave Radio is a lot, and it's one that I think needs to be told. So... For today's very special episode, we're not actually going to be talking about a movie. We're going to be talking about Heatwave Radio. Obviously, Pierre and I have quite a long history with Heatwave Radio. We've both got very different histories, though. As you'll hear, I was one of the first presidents of Heatwave Radio, and as we get very, very close to the current day, Pierre is, as of this moment, the most recent president of Heatwave Radio, but there is an awful lot between those two events. This is a very different episode for us. We conducted several interviews over the course of a few months and uh, put them together into sort of an oral history of Heatwave Radio. From its humble beginnings as basically the idea of a campus radio station to its heyday and beyond. Anyway, without further ado, I want to just sort of get into it. This is the story of Heatwave Radio. Jeff, how did Heatwave become founded? Was it is it your baby? Would you describe it as your baby? I would describe a lot of elements of it as my baby. It was definitely a very collaborative effort during my time. I think the history of Heatwave goes technically all the way back to 1993. But then in my first year, I was looking for things to do on campus. And specifically, I was looking for like media related things because I always knew I wanted to go into computer science when I was in university. But I had like entertained ideas of maybe going to film school or doing something in media production as well. So I was looking for stuff like journalism, radio, um, film clubs, and I found or, well, I think they were, I'm not sure what they were advertised as at the time, but Heatwave Radio, which uh, I went to one of their meetings and I was literally the only person that showed up. I was the only person that showed up other than the person who at the time was the last remaining member of Heatwave Radio, a guy named Stefan, I think. Uh, might've been Stefan, I can't remember. But at the time, like he didn't really know what was going on at the time. So like, you know, I came in and I was like, I, oh, like, I like to do, like, music reviews. And he's like, yeah, just send them to me and I'll post them. It's like, okay. I don't know what's going on, though. So, like, it was cool, but it kind of never went anywhere. And then later on that year, I was in a creative writing class with, with, with one guy especially who was very intent on just doing something. He wanted to do everything that there was. He had a lot of ideas. And he was like, we need to start a student radio. And I'm like, I agree. Did you know there's already a dude who's do it, who did it? And we like managed to get back together with him. Uh, this guy brought together a few of his friends, uh, including, what's his name? Uh, Sam Hunt. And over time, we started the work of like putting together a student radio. Problem was, uh, that's a really big undertaking. And most of the first bits of work that need to go into it are not fun. And that may be slight foreshadowing for a little further in the future than we've gotten to in these first three minutes. But uh, 2014, my second semester of university, uh, when I was getting together with Ahmed Durar and Sam Hunt, the idea of a radio station still got all of us really excited, especially when we went to, to what at the time was called the Media Center and would later on be called UBC Studios. And asked them if they would be able to help us get it off the ground. We were very lucky to meet Rosemary Jean Thompson there, uh, who remembers the encounter a little more like this. 
Well, I remember these two enthusiastic young first-year students at UBC coming to what was then known as uh, the Media Center, uh, which is the department that I was, at that time, I might have only been the supervisor, but I, I ended up managing that department and just said that they had an idea to start a radio station. And one of the people were, was you, and you were the quiet one. You were quiet. You were just kind of, you know, a little, I, I'm going to say you might have been a little hesitant, but you, you were a good listener, and you, but you were, you were right there along with, and this is where I've got to make sure I get his name right, Ahmed? Nope. Nope, was that it was correct. I got it, it right. Ahmed, yes. Uh, a lovely young man, and just saying we have this idea, and we wondered, you know, can we help with it? And I remember that Bud Mortensen, who was the director of communications, I think he was the director at the time, he had told me that he had tried to get a radio station going in at it's the early days, actually, when it was Okanagan University College at that campus, the campus by the airport. And at that time, you had to have a tower to be able to of course, get a radio, I don't even know what they're called, but you know, not a sat. I want to say satellite because years have changed, but you, you had to have a tower to be able to get some kind of connection to have a, a radio station. And because it, Okanagan University College was across the street from the airport, it was basically impossible to do because of the air restrictions. So it was an idea that actually went back to about the 19. 90s or 1980s and I remember Bud telling me this story so when you and um, Ahmed came in I just thought wow is there a way to do this now and not require a tower and of course now we're dealing with the internet and there were other ways that one could have a radio station so I was intrigued I was intrigued by the question that you had and I was in uh, since we were a dedicated department to helping students accomplish their goals around video, I thought radio was a natural fit. And I'd been involved in television for quite a few years with Shaw TV, so it intrigued me. And so I said, yeah, let's, I, I'm interested, I'm in, let's see what we can do. So while we were off to a great start with at least three very uh, motivated students, as well as Rosemary Jean Thompson from the Media Center. Um, the problem was, uh, in the words of Carl Sagan, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. And of course, a lot of us that joined the radio and decided we wanted to make stuff for the radio, we wanted to create programming. We didn't necessarily want to create infrastructure. I was interested in looking into things like a student newspaper and a student radio, not because I wanted to set up those things. I wanted to create like, you know, I wanted to create a radio program. I wanted to create a podcast, stuff like that. And the very first thing you need to do when setting up a radio station is make a budget and figure out your finances, which is not something I'm interested in. It's something I had to do, but it's not something I was very interested in doing. And it makes it really hard to recruit people because very few people are actually super interested in that. Yeah, that's fair. Did, did you eventually find people that were interested in that? We found people who were interested primarily in other things, but very, no, but interested enough to like work towards getting us there. Two of our most important members really early on were a guy named Trophy Awila, who um, was our administrative, I can't remember his name, or not his name, his title, administrative assistant, I think. He basically like kept all of our paperwork in check and constantly was liaising with, the, uh, with UBC Media Studios. Uh, UBC Media Studios, he was liaising with them constantly and like keeping on top of our finances and all that. Uh, a guy named uh, Kevin, whose last name I am unfortunately forgetting at the time, he was also really important to our finances. And then a guy named Easton Doran, who 
like got us right out the gate with some kind of content. He's kind of, he's a bit of a musician himself. So like he was talking to local musicians, he was interviewing local musicians, he was trying to coordinate content as much as he could. He was our programming director. And like he was, he was really, really good in uh, getting us early content, even while most of our meetings were, let's sit around and pretend that we know how to sign forms because that's what we have to do now. What was important too, as we were setting this up, is how did we liaison with the organizations that were in the university itself? Because I was a department. I had no authority. I had no power. I had no funding to give you. I, I only had my heart and my experience to share and my, my desire to see success you know, you guys succeed. But there was the student union that actually had a fund, had just voted in a yearly student fund for media. And so they had a newspaper, uh, the Phoenix newspaper going, and they had this fund that the students were paying for. So they had a pocket of money that could be shared for the media. So we had to present our case, not me, I, I, I say we as heat wave, but with me one step removed, the students wanted to get a hold of some of that funding. That probably was the most a challenging part because heat wave radio was new. We hadn't proven ourselves. We didn't have anything. You didn't have anything to sell per se, just a desire to do this new this uh, new initiative. So every year that became (laughs) sort of one of the challenges, I guess. The student union would certainly end up becoming a major force in the history of heatwave radio later on down the line, especially for better and for worse. And you will hear lots about them as we continue this. But as Rosemary said, the very the very biggest issue that we had at the beginning was that we didn't have a product. We had a pretty strong will to do things. We had a lot of ideas and we had people who were interested in getting, in figuring out how to realize those ideas, those visions. But we didn't already have a radio station and we didn't already have content. I'm curious about like the actual programming that the radio did, because a lot of it isn't available now. So I'm just wondering, what kind of things did you guys do on the radio? Uh, When I became president, my goal was in the short term to get us doing something as fast as possible. I I had joined to do some content. I know that the easiest way to get people to join is to uh, bring them in with the promise of doing content. So I was like, let's do something where we can get people in to do content. So that's where I came up with the idea of a podcast network. I was like, podcasts are super easy to do. They're super easy to figure out how to edit. Like our, our people that are already good with, as sound engineers, they could already edit podcasts if they needed to, because podcasts don't necessarily, they don't have to be that hard to edit depending on what you want to do with them. And in fact, like most people who record a podcast can be taught to do do the editing themselves. So like podcasts are potentially very easy and cheap content to create right out the gate. And podcast networks were something I was familiar with because I was a big Kevin Smith fan at the time who does like a million podcasts on his own little network. So I'm like, if we create basically an umbrella that is heatwave radio. And under that, we have several different shows that gives us a lot of content. And if we have an internet radio at any point, we just cycle that content in, we schedule it in, it plays, we've got radio, boom, we're done. So early on, when I became president, I tried to pivot us as hard as I could into becoming a podcast network. So that part, I consider my baby. And I'm glad that It carried on as long as it did, even if that was maybe not everyone's favorite part of the radio. So in that first year, Heatwave Radio went from an idea from Ahmed Durar, Sam Hunt, and myself to a real organization, including 
Rosemary and uh, Kevin Morrison, um, Easton Doran, Trophia Wheela, a whole bunch of other people, and most importantly, perhaps, creating content. By the end of 2014, we had we were having regular meetings. We had content up in some form, mostly on SoundCloud. And, um, yeah, we weren't, we definitely weren't a community radio station the way that we had hoped, that we hoped we would eventually be, but we were on to a good start. Of course, even when we had content being created, uh, that still wasn't everything. It was still a lot of behind the scenes, a lot of, um, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of drama between uh, members on the executive, and well, it took its toll a bit. What was it tough? Because I get for such a new club, right? Is, was it tough, like isolating your role or being like, "This is my role, but I hate how this guy's doing it" or something like that? Was that tough at all? Because like for us, it was like so focused that I feel like we're all working on the same. Like me and Yvonne worked on the same thing, right? But you guys had like multiple yeah. facets to deal with. Yeah, it was that was really tough. And I actually I was not the president for very long because it was making my blood the consistency of jelly. Like I could not deal with it. Uh, so I was there for a year and like it would get to the point where I I don't know how I was perceived in those meetings because I got really angry a lot. There was one time where I just like slammed my fists in the table, stood up and pointed at like five people. And I was like, you, 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 shut up. We're going to finish the meeting now. And like, I, I was told afterwards by our faculty advisor, probably not the classiest move. Okay, so then what, what when did you leave around, did you say? So I left as an executive after a year of being president in 2015. Oh, uh, so you were because- like done after that. Well, I was done in the executive uh, because I, at that point, uh, I personally felt that we had the infrastructure to create shows and I was already recording a show. So I was like, I want to focus on the content creation and I want to be as far away as I can from the paperwork if that is okay with everyone. And we had someone who was already kind of uh, taking a more active role, both in that and as a station manager. So uh, I left and passed off president to Easton Doran, who was really, really good as president. But I did not get to see much of him as president because by that point, I was trying to stay as far away from the bureaucracy as I could, because there were some times when I was just like, you know, it, it was it was affecting me too much. And uh, I don't know. I, I have very thin skin, actually. So that's fair. I <laughs> It is, it is, I guess I could see coordinating all those facets would probably be really frustrating. So after stepping down as president of Heatwave Radio, my involvement with Heatwave Radio became a little more limited. I produced a show at the time uh, called Off the Cuff with my co-host at the time, Alex Shaw. But aside from recording, editing, and submitting that show, my involvement with the behind the scenes of Heatwave Radio was very limited. Um, and my involvement aside from the behind the scenes was sort of historical. I wasn't really seeing the, uh, I wasn't super involved in finding out what kind of presence Heatwave Radio had on campus. So naturally, when I got the opportunity to interview Tyron Lake, who was the president of Heatwave Radio, after Sam and Easton, my first question was, of course, how did you learn about Heatwave Radio? Uh, in my very first year on club day, I had like no interest in joining any clubs. I was just walking in between classes. I was like, oh, I'm in first year engineering, full course load. There's no way I can can do any club activity or anything. And uh, as I was walking through, I can't remember exactly what the music was, but Sam Hunt and Ahmed Durar, who were both uh, staff at Heatwave at that point, had a booth set up and they had like the big monitors that Heatwave had for a long time and they were blasting music in the uh, courtyard there. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. 
so I, I decided to just go by and, and chat with them because they were playing music that I liked. And that conversation ended up turning into like a two hour conversation until the end of Expo. And I got like, I was going home, I think at that point, actually, it was like the end of the day. And I, I ended up like missing three buses. <laughs> I just stayed and talked with them the whole time. Uh, and they had a sign up sheet and I just immediately signed up because I had a ton of uh, interest in music. I was in bands and stuff when I like before I moved to Kelowna and went to UBCO. Uh, so it just piqued my interest right away. So what was that first year like right after you signed up? They didn't like have you sign up for president, I'm assuming. No, no. Uh, I, I was a general volunteer uh, at first. So I, I had a couple of meetings with the then station manager, Easton, um, and Ahmed and Sam, who were, I believe, the programming manager. And I can't remember what the other official position was. But the big kind of thing that I did in that year uh, was I, did, I helped out a lot with the uh, water park event that they did. So they basically, they set up a big slip and slide on campus and filled up like thousands of water balloons and just had a big water balloon fight right behind where the commons is now in that big field back there. And yeah, I was there t- like taking people's tickets when they came into the venue and helped sell tickets. And that, that was pretty much my involvement with that part. And then after that, Easton wanted me to start learning how to use all of the equipment on like just in the booth because I had experience with music production and things beforehand. Um, so then I started doing like interviews with artists and helping out with editing of podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that was most of my involvement in the first year. And then after that, and in the, the end of the semester, the second semester is when Easton decided that he wanted to leave Heatwave in an official capacity because he was wanting to run for an SUO position uh, in the following semester. And that's kind of when it just fell on my lap. Ahmed and Sam asked me if I would take over as station manager. And that's, yeah, kind of just went on from there. All right. So like you just sort of were designated station manager. Yeah, I I didn't ask for it. (laughs) It was more that... uh, I think Easton and I just had a, a good working relationship after a little while because uh, I was just so well-versed in all of the equipment and they wanted somebody that could help out in every single area of the station at that point. And actually recording and editing and all that stuff was a lot of the job. With Tyron, Heatwave had a bit of new blood in their executive, which on the one hand, was great, but you'll also notice that the other three names that uh, have come up in that interview were names that have come up before. And this sort of brings us to a main problem that we haven't really talked about yet. Well, we had a four-year period of students being on campus, right? Unless you are staying on to to get your master's degree or, or beyond that. But for, you know, you have an undergraduate sort of program that you're in. I think the part that I knew right from the beginning that was going to be the challenge and was the challenge, I believe, it really came down to sustainability. Yeah. So there there was a, a period of time right before Sam and Ahmed were graduating that we knew that they were going to be leaving the station. So uh, over that summer, Um, We did a complete restructuring of the staff and board of directors. And uh, that's when I took on the official role as president. Yeah, we we drafted up a whole bunch of job positions with the help of Rosemary Thompson. So yeah, we sat down with her a few times over the summer and figured out exactly what our needs were to actually run it in the following year. And uh, we we ran interviews and took in ap- applications at the start of the semester after that summer. And Meredith was one of the applicants. And I believe that the initially she wasn't the programming manager; she was an administrative assistant. And then when Sam was about to graduate, he had begun training her in her position, and she took over as programming manager when he left. It would be impossible to talk about modern heatwave radio without talking to Meredith Lister, and. You just heard Tyron mention Meredith there, but we did have the opportunity to talk to her and to scoot back just a little bit. We wanted to ask her how she how she got involved with Heatwave Radio from her perspective. 
probably in my first or second year, I just went through the list of all the clubs and all the you know, extracurricular organizations at UBCO. I went through, researched uh, all of them. At that time, Heatwave didn't really have much of an online presence at all. So it was kind of, okay, uh, this is interesting. I'll go check it out. And then on uh, Clubs Day, I went around to all the tables. Heatwave did have a table. And at that point, they were like, yeah, we're having our annual... it might have been our AGM, some kind of official meeting. I turned up to that meeting and they're like, yeah, so we need admin coordinator. We need people to do these things. At that point, I didn't really know. I was like, well, I want to be involved. I don't know what I want to do. Admin coordinator, that sounds like work I can do. So I kind of was like, I'll dip my toes in with that and see where we go from there. When you joined with Heatwave Radio or when you went to that AGM, how many people were even there? Like, or not necessarily at the AGM, but even just the executives? Two or three, I think. Uh, I may have been the third or fourth person. They, we, we had we had a station manager. We changed around titles and things throughout the years as our roles kind of changed. But we had someone who was responsible for outreach and events and things of that nature. Uh, I joined as admin coordinator. So I was handling a lot of the paperwork and looking at shows. And that turned into doing a lot of bylaws and things of that nature and finances and pitching our uh, budgets to the SUO. So Meredith may have started out as the admin coordinator, but I and probably most people who knew her from Heatwave Radio knew her for her role as the programming director. People who've been listening to this show from the very beginning or who know a little bit about the history of this show from the very beginning will remember that uh, Classic Movies Live used to be fully under the Heatwave Radio umbrella. Uh, When I said Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live at the beginning, it wasn't always just for show. Um, And Meredith is actually the person that we pitched this show to. But we wanted to know what goes into the job of a programming director. I had started as the admin coordinator and I kind of stepped into the programming director role as well. So I was, uh, you know, looking at new shows, pitches, either approving them or kind of suggesting like, hey, here's some, this is a decent pitch, but maybe you can look at it from this angle as well. Uh, And a lot of training new people on here's how you can make a podcast, here's how to use the equipment and edit everything. So that was was a fun job to have because you get to help so many people kind of see their ideas to fruition. What did that really entail? Because I think for us, we ended up being fairly independent. I know that we we sent you guys our episodes, but you didn't usually send back a lot of notes or anything. But we're only one podcast, so I don't know how many you dealt with. Well, you were you, both of you were also pretty experienced at that point. Like you knew your way around recording software, but a lot of people were coming in at, at completely fresh, had never had never even heard of any recording software whatsoever. So I would I would bring them in and I would show them like here's the basic way that we can set up to record. Like here's the buttons you press. Uh, here's like some basic tips of how you can position your mic and things like that. And I would show them the recording software. And usually at least the first one or two episodes they record, I would be uh, sitting there outside the studio with them so I can kind of guide them along. And if I noticed they were doing something like, hey, you need to you need to talk a bit louder or we need to adjust your mic or anything, then I can kind of step in right away. We can we can they can re-record that section. They don't need to start from scratch. And then usually what I would try to do as well is then I would try to show them the editing software and be like, here's some basic things I do. Here's how you can make your audio not have too many peaks or lows. Here's uh, If you feel really up to it, here's how you can add in music, uh, remove any clips that you want to cut out. A lot of people felt pretty intimidated by that, but there were some people who, you know, they'd give it a good try or they'd kind of start editing editing it themselves and then ask me for help. And I didn't mind doing that because once you get used to editing audio, it, it can be a pretty fast workflow. But uh, yeah, a lot of the time I was right in the office. The, what we were working towards is that I'd basically just be coordinating studio time so that people would have their time slot. They should show up. I let them in the office and they can record and then they can do all the editing and everything themselves, send the files over to me so I can post them online and add them to our feed. So you were really hands-on during that period (laughs) then. Yeah, uh, that's not even getting into all like the technical things like setting up the website, setting up the RSS feed, setting up the broadcasting online equipment. I, it was very hands-on for me. 
the website was another important facet of Heatwave Radio's history. While unfortunately Heatwave.fm has gone down for now, uh, for the longest time, that was where you could find all the information on events that Heatwave would put on, all the information on the radio itself, as well as all of Heatwave's content, both the podcasts and the radio stream, etc. Being that Heatwave, for most of its life, operated as an online radio station, the website was, uh, at different points, basically the most important thing to get started and to, or to get right right away. So when we talked to Meredith, Meredith actually revamped the website with the help of one other person we have not introduced yet, someone who would be brought in as the social media manager, Efia Asante. So Meredith and I uh, worked on the website and then mostly Meredith updated that, but I also did some of the design aspects like picking colors and stuff like that. And then, yeah, like making, designing posters. Like I did one for Bush League. Yeah, I'm not sure what else I could say. It was pretty simple. Oh, we also um, did like meetings and stuff like that. Not fun stuff. So Meredith also brought up the website, which un- unsurprising if you worked with her on that, but you said it was a whole thing. Do you, do you want to go into that? I'm. The more I hear about the website, the more curious I am. Uh, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say, but basically we had someone making a website and it fell through and then all of a sudden we had to make a new website while we were supposed to launch the old new website. Yeah, we had a website and we also had a partial mobile app that I, I believe a student had been paid to develop it. And it was not really something that we could use moving forward without significant investment. Like you can use a mobile website. We didn't really have a use case for having a dedicated mobile app. I think there's like an assumption that this will be a great thing that we can build and you build it once and then everything is easy from there. That's not true. Any app you build, you have to maintain and it's a lot of work to maintain and it's it's a really big commitment. So unless you have one or more people who are dedicated long term to maintain this app, it's just not worth it because you have, you know, you have you're not always going to have three computer science students on the executive who can handle that kind of work. So um, I looked at the options and how much effort and time and money different things would do. And I ended up rebuilding our website on Squarespace just because it's really straightforward and easy to maintain. And it had support for RSS feeds, which was really important because when we're posting podcasts and things, if you want your podcast to be able to show up on Apple Music and Spotify and things like that, you need to submit an RSS feed. So Squarespace made that pretty straightforward because and it was only, I don't know, 10 bucks a month or something like that. So we looked at the beginning of Heatwave as well as what I always like to think of as the golden age of Heatwave, where Heatwave had a website, they had a radio station in some form, in this case online radio, and content was being produced in the form of podcasts as well as radio shows. We had music running, we had an RSS feed, we had all the good stuff. But until now, we've only looked at people who were members of the executive or who were involved in an administrative capacity. And I think it's really important to point out that Heatwave did have regular members who didn't need to be at all the meetings because they just had a content production role and stuff like that. One of those people that I wanted to highlight in a quick aside is someone who's very important to this show. He started with Heatwave basically the same time that Classic Movies Live started. And he's been with Classic Movies Live ever since. Hello, we are here with Brian to talk about his experience with Heatwave Media. Hello, Brian. Hi. I guess our first question would be, what were you doing for Heatwave in your time? Honestly, the only thing I was doing was editing for this podcast, uh, handling the recordings. When you signed up for Heatwave, was that like your initial goal or was that something that you were kind of introduced to or like what, what was your primary objective when signing up for Heatwave? Let's put it this way. Yeah, basically this was the, the only thing I signed up to do at Heatwave. I got pulled in at the expo. I forgot what the expo was called. Anyways, yeah, I saw a few people with boom boxes and I was wandering around campus about like what to do, what to get involved. And then Tyrone was like, hey, do you want to do some? sound engineering stuff. I'm like, cool, let's do it. 
And then he put me on. He said, there's this podcast about movies. Uh, do you want to go and do recording for them? I'm like, heck yeah. If you teach me how to do it, I'll do it. So they basically just stuck you on a podcast with us and the rest is history. Like that's, that's kind of awesome a little bit. Or I think it is, but. Yeah, that that's kind of much, pretty much it. Yeah, that's what happened. Um, it's been going great since. When you talked to Tyron, do you remember how he described T-Wave at the time? Not really. No, not really. Um, I remember just hearing about it like it's a student-run student run thing. It's on campus. It's a radio. I was kind of like just like focused on the fact that I get to do something like this, which is really cool. I did not think about the rest of what was going on. And honestly, it's been a while, so I don't quite That's remember fair. exactly how he... Uh, described it at that moment but i just remember it being really awesome i was like yes this is something i want to do and i will do it so i'm kind of wondering like how was the full experience of working with heatwave because you said like you signed up they were like hey go do this podcast how much guidance did they give you if any at all were you regularly talking to tyron and meredith at all afterwards um when i started quite a bit more just on like getting introduced of like how things work and then generally how to work the booth and then the equipments and such. So it took me a while and they had some documents like Google Docs and such, they're just saying, saying like, hey, this is what do you want to do with a podcast? This is your recording settings. We walked through a few times, if I remember right, just like how to operate things and how things work. And afterwards, honestly, it would, we didn't really talk much we like if we see each other in passing we'll be like hey how's it going but i didn't really get involved with the operational side of like heatways other things i was just mostly doing the podcast here so it would just record edit and then see if i can make adjustments or learn a few new things on the way to like deal with better recording or to improve things around do you feel like heatwave was like a good way to learn about these things like, was it like a, a valuable learning experience? I think so. I think it. there's so much to learn, even if just like editing things alone. I've been doing this for a while and I can't really say I'm really good at it. I'm just like, it will pass. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but there's just, there's just so much that you could do. And then with better software or like just, Audacity alone does a lot. But once you fine tune it, it's really incredible to think about it. And it's hard to imagine how sometimes, like, you know, you listen to a soundtrack or like anything, honestly, and you just feel, oh, that sounds really good. It used to be that, oh, it's just really good. And then that's the end of the thought. And now it's like, oh, wait, I wonder how much time went into like behind the scenes, just. <laughs> the poor sound engineers sitting there trying to sit, like filter through all the sounds and figure out the best setting. As you can see from us talking to Brian, working with Heatwave gave students skills that they wouldn't be getting anywhere else at the university. And it, got, it gave us the opportunity to try something new and cool and fun in, you know, a great supportive environment. So we asked Brian, what's the potential of Heatwave? What came to mind when you were asking the question is it's can't be the voice of the students. It's a radio. It's literally voice. So it's like the voice of the student or like, yeah, I think it's, it could go a long way. It, it's like a, a platform anyways. It's like, so you could do, you know, talk about movies, talk about fun things give the students a way to express themselves and you know me people like if I had done this I would have met both of you and that would have been a shame it's like it, yeah it's fun it's learning a lot and it's meeting people I don't know how to describe it honestly not so if heatwave can be the voice of the students I think it might be time to address the official voice of the students do you feel that like the, the students union could have supported Heatwave in like a lot of different ways that you missed out on or like uh, I feel like the students union could have done a lot of things and I mean they did do 
a lot of things, but they could have done a lot of things differently. Obviously, the current SEO is going to be very different from the SEO executives when I was there. But yeah, we would have a lot of back and forths with the SEO. One of the really big issues was the way that Heatwave was incorporated, and we were actually incorporated as a separate society under the BC Societies Act. And the SUO is also a society under the BC Societies Act. And once they realized that, that like the SUO, they they had control of our money. We had to like request funds from them and things like that. We weren't controlling it directly. And they were like, this is kind of strange that we're overseeing you, but you're an independent society. And we think that you shouldn't be an independent society. And we we're like, well, what like what happens if we decide to stay completely independent? And they're like, well, you don't get any funding anymore. So obviously getting all of your funding cut off when you're not really large enough that you have lots of like sponsors or advertising or alternative streams. It's like, okay, that's not an option. So we'll, we'll do what you say. Um, I think the idea would be that, you know, we have the larger SUO and underneath the SUO, we have several media organizations that kind of have different facets like the Phoenix use and Heatwave radio. And ideally the SUO wouldn't be controlling us directly. We put out our own thing, but then they're handling inconvenient, you know, paperwork that students don't really want to be thinking about. Like you don't want to be thinking about your tax returns and your reporting to government agencies and things like that. It's a, it's a lot of paperwork. Most people don't want to deal with it. If the SUO could handle all that, that's that's a benefit for us. And I feel like that makes the organization easier for people to join and run. Uh, I, I don't know if they actually stepped up to that and took over those things or not, though. Yeah, that's fair. Do, do you think that um, the SUO like has a responsibility to like, I guess, keep more of a focus on like organizations like Heatwave or just clubs in general? I mean, I feel like that's the whole purpose of the SEO is to try and support student initiatives in different ways. And a lot of student initiatives are going to be in the form of organizations and clubs. Like the SEO isn't really doing a lot for the individual student because you can't have 10,000 plus individual students that you're all individually helping. But if you have a few dozen clubs that you are helping, then, you know, every student can join clubs and extracurriculars. And that just makes more sense to me. Mm. So, and do you feel the SUO did that for you? So overall. I think that uh, certain administrations of the SUO were lovely to work with, very helpful, very accommodating for us. Uh, they're, they're great. Other ones, less so. They felt more like they were, you know, blocking us at every turn. Uh, it, w- it was very, it could be very frustrating at times because from their perspective, it's like, okay, how many students is this organization serving? And if you're not serving very many students, then you get less funding, you get less support. And when you are an organization that's kind of shifting, like you're shifting from putting on lots of large events that tons of people can show up to, and now you have individual students or small teams of students coming in and making shows and trying to broadcast them. And any new show you create isn't going to instantly have 10,000 people listening to it versus if you have a big artist come in and you have a concert, you have an audience immediately for that. So you kind of have to be patient with that and expect that it's going to take some time to build up popularity, build up listenership. But the SEO, I think from their perspective, it's like, well, you've been an organization for several years, so you should already have a lot of people involved. But it that just wasn't the case. So I think that their expectations for involvement were just, it wasn't something that we could realistically reach unless we went back to just putting on concerts and shows. Essentially what happened is in my final two years working at Heatwave, a big thing that Meredith and I had really been pushing for uh, was to start compensating student staff for the work that they were doing. Because Meredith especially put in countless hours into it and it was getting to the point where it was becoming like part-time to full-time jobs for all of the staff so we were paid through honoraria it's essentially the student union saying hey we recognize what you're doing we're going to gift you x amount of dollars monthly it's the same way that the student union representatives are paid so we started receiving honoraria and at that point i had moved out and my now fiance and i got a place together and we were uh, paying rent. <laughs> so Heatwave was my, aside from my student loan, which wasn't very high, was my number one source of income. And there was a period of time for like five months or so where the honorary payments just 
weren't coming through. I was emailing back and forth with the general manager of the SUO and we were getting like radio static for a long time. So eventually when it came to, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I needed to get a job somewhere else because, you know, I, I had to make my rent and it, it was really hard for me at that point to let it go. But if it was the choice between keeping my job that was in state, like unstable financially and moving back in with my parents with my fiance or find another job and just, uh, yeah, let it all go. So at that, that point in the semester, it was pretty close to like kind of the like midterms going to just past midterms. Um, so I, during one of our meetings with all of the staff and our advisors, I let them know like, Hey, you know, I have to step down after the semester. Like I, I need the time now to, focus more on academics and be able to hold a job like another job and uh yeah so that that was kind of the end of it i trained meredith as much as i could on everything that i did and uh, i believe she took over as president and station manager after that and that was kind of the point where i stepped down and i haven't really been involved in any capacity after that um that was kind of right before covid hit i think that was like the semester before covid hit as I'm sure you've guessed, COVID had a pretty big impact on how things were done at Heatwave. Once the pandemic hit, like so many other things in the world, Heatwave had to operate entirely differently. We couldn't have access to our studio or equipment and uh, anything like that. And we were kind of stuck like, okay, what, what can we focus on now? We tried to do some ideas like sending equipment home with students so they could record from home. But it was it's extremely difficult to coordinate, especially when people, you know, they've recorded a few episodes, but they're not really feeling confident in their skills yet, even when someone's right there with them. So they're not really feeling like they want to take the next step and do this completely independently. So that didn't work out. It won't surprise you that recording in person during the pandemic just, for the most part, was not possible. As for plenty of reasons, but not the least of which was that the sound booth was actually closed down for most of 2020. The sound booth that Heatwave would have had access to. That said, time didn't just stop when the pandemic started. And at the end of the year, it was once again time for someone to graduate and for Heatwave to be passed on to a new president. My last year was also the first year of the pandemic, so we couldn't really do that much. I graduated. I kind of just dumped everything on Pierre's plate and I was like, you're kind of the only kind of executive person who's still around, who knows anything about the org. Here you go. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like you have my email address. If you run into any terrible problems, I guess I'm here, but I'm moving to Toronto. Uh, I'm leaving the city. Bye. Good luck. Uh, so that was our handover. That's obviously not, that's not the way that sh things should be. That's not good succession planning, but that's that's the way things were. I think that some of the, you know, the executive members at that point, we'd been putting in a lot of work and it felt like we were, it felt like the more work we put in, the less respect and acknowledgement we received from the SUO. So even if I was putting in hundreds of hours trying to build this thing up and we were making progress, the SUO weren't, they weren't seeing immediately returns of popularity. So it felt like, you know, we're putting in so much work and it's, and they, they're acting like we're doing nothing so whatever, it's fine. We're, we'll just move on from this. Which brings us to the present. I teased this kind of at the beginning, but after Meredith left, the person to take over the presidency of Heatwave Radio was none other than our very own Pierre. Uh, when I interviewed him, we also got in Yavarna Govinder, who was a pretty major force in the most recent year of Heatwave Radio and actually gave me some information that I was not immediately aware of. Yvarna, you want to just sort of introduce yourself also because I just met you and I would like to know more about you. Yes, I am a second year student. I did my first year at UBCO, which in, at, in that first year I was a part of Heatwave Radio, which I guess you'll probably get into is now called Heatwave Media. So yeah, that was me. Pierre, did you know about that? Uh, I'm the one that changed it, yeah. What, you, <laughs> all right. Well, we've got a lot to get into because <laughs> yeah. I didn't I didn't hear I didn't know any of this coming in. Heatwave Media, eh? 
Pierre, you want to, well, we should probably, how do we want to go about this? Because I just want to know what happened in the last year. But it was uh, all Yvonne's idea. That <laughs> might. <laughs> no, uh, I, I kind of came up to that decision when uh, basically everyone else left and I was by elimination put in charge. But yeah, it was, uh, I, I could just tell I wasn't really interested in doing just podcasts. And I know Meredith had spent a while trying to set up the radio, like FM or not. It wouldn't, I think internet radio was the plan. Um, but that they're having a lot of trouble with the students union. And I just, I wasn't really interested in radio like itself um, because I just felt like people were moving on from that. So I just, I chose to focus it on media because I like, I personally liked video production and I liked making fun skits. Um, but then also we could do podcasts and stuff. It just gave us a lot more leeway to work with, if that makes sense. Moving into the modern era. But yeah. So not to editorialize too much here, because I think unambiguously bringing Heatwave into the modern era is a good idea. But the problem really, as I see it, is what are we bringing into that modern era? Before COVID, Heatwave had some presence. And after COVID, now back on campus, I had to ask Pierre, what is Heatwave's presence like now? Currently? uh non-existent i'm uh i'm still trying i i I recently i posted a reel like last week and we still have a campus tour i need to edit and stuff but and we've had some emails about interest because i know people were interested in still doing it there's just no one wants to like lead it so i might just try to keep it really casual and like find out if anyone wants to make anything at all uh but yeah right right now it's it's very non-existent i don't even know if it's technically a club anymore because we never signed any like renewal forms so like that stuff was working i was just like i know how to run a club i've done that before i don't want to deal with all the legalese and stuff so i just like went for it there's a there's a sign in the suo that says we have an office but none of us have been able to access it all year and when i tried to access it they were like we're selling your equipment so you're not allowed in there which was also very confusing because again we they don't legally own the equipment, so I don't really know what's going on. But I just I didn't I didn't want to get into a whole thing because I didn't want to waste my time on fighting the students' union on something that I probably wasn't going to use anyways. And it was like in March that I found that out. So yeah. So post COVID was definitely a very different look for Heatwave, but that's part of the reason we brought in Yvarna. We wanted to know what Heatwave was like in this last year in a fully post-COVID world, or at least no longer a pre-COVID world. Pierre was one of my RAs for Nachaco. I lived at Res. And so I think it was, do you guys have a booth on Club Day? Because I think that's where I first heard about it. Yeah, we had a booth uh, at Club yeah. Expo in Nachaco. I saw you there. I'm like, oh, that's one of my RAs. I didn't really know anybody. So I'm like, and I want to join a bunch of clubs to, you know, know people on campus. So I decided to go to the first meeting and continued from there. So, like, what was that first meeting like? Because this was... Um, yeah. It was... I came late because I had a class. So I missed, like, the first 10 or so minutes, I think. But basically, it was just a idea pitch kind of thing. And I think it was, like, the most people that ever showed up going forward for like a variety of reasons but yeah it was it was basically just a meeting pitch thing where people like talked about what roles you could do and what kind of projects we could do moving forward yeah it was a crazy i because we me and my friend felipe we spent a lot of time we did the club day and then we also put like i think like 30 posters up around campus with a link um, to the discord and stuff to let people know so we got like 20 to 30 people at the first meeting yeah, and, and it was like in the Nachaco like gathering room because it was like a tiny little table and yeah. not everybody could fit yeah. it was very it was really awkward because uh, I was like I was literally expecting like maximum 10 people and I was prepared for a meeting with 10 people I was not expecting that many people and trying to figure out how to cord I mean, like it was a lot yeah mm-hmm. but it was very exciting though I was excited mm-hmm at the time (laughs) and like is this post covid 
it was like when restrictions were starting to lift, but you know, COVID was still a thing, so you still had like restrictions, and it was something that, like, the restrictions were some were one of the reasons like we had a lot of troubles in like the first semester. Mm-hmm. We weren't technically allowed to meet, or we we never booked a room. We were technically weren't allowed to meet, so we just met. We met on in the Chaco the first time, I think, because I was an RA there, so and people can like. I don't know, we can host events in, in those rooms. So like, it was okay. And then after that, we just kind of like gathered in any empty study room we could find. During that year, or that you were president, Pierre, and you were involved, Yavarna, what did you guys do as Heatwave Media? Uh, so I originally signed on to be a writer and if needed, an actor. As the year went on and less people showed up, I kind of took on any role that was needed. Originally, I started, I wrote, like, part of the first project we were planning to do. And from on there, I wrote almost every project we were doing in coordination with, like, Pierre and sometimes other people. It was mostly Yvarna. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I was very, I was very much, hey, Yvarna, I'm planning this idea. And then I wouldn't do any work. And Yvonne, because she's very, um, she's very good at organizing things, she would actually write the script out. Um, and plan it and then uh, I would try to get people together so it was a lot of her ideas or no sorry it was like a lot of art we would I think we would brainstorm together and then but Yovana would actually flush out the script and everything because um, I'm, I'm very improvisational the first time we did a like an actual shoot that like we went out and did we had no script at all <laughs> yeah. and it was apparently Pierre said it was like a nightmare to edit so moving forward we had like a script to follow yeah, it was it was really bad. So that helped a lot. Yvonne was great at that. So like, where did that stuff end up going? Did you guys like put that? Oh, <laughs> did it just like go onto Instagram? Or do you guys have a website still? No. <laughs> YouTube, Instagram, and yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. yeah. Okay. What drove you guys to shift Heatwave away from, from Heatwave Radio to Heatwave Media? Yvonne, you want to answer? Uh, well, again, Pierre had, I guess, like, it was, like, in the process of happening in, like, the beginning. So, like, the first meeting was, like, done under Heatwave Radio. So, like, everything's still like Heatwave Radio. And then, like, in the first meeting, he was like, yeah, I want to move it towards, like, a media format. So people who want to, like, pitch, like, shows, skits, all those kind of things, you're welcome to come. So, like, mm. that was quite interesting. So I think that's what got, like, a lot of people interested, since a lot of people had the ideas for, like, shows or clips and, like, in the beginning, there was, like, somebody who wanted to do, like, a game show and, like, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's just what I was interested in, honestly, because I I had done work with the Phoenix before and making, like, video news, and I found that was really fun. I'm, I'm not a huge, like, I don't personally listen to podcasts, so, like, it's just where my interests went to, and I knew it was something I was experienced in. Like, I knew how to make videos. I mean, obviously, I learned a lot because... You know, I didn't have any scripts. <laughs> I was worried about scripts and stuff, but um, it's just what I was interested in. I was hoping other people would be too. So yeah, and I just felt like it was just it was the way we had to go in the future because it didn't feel like on the current trend where where Heatwave was headed towards before it was really leading anywhere. Um, so I thought might as well try something like completely different. And that's where we're at today. Currently, Heatwave Media still operates at UBCO. I will link their various Facebook pages and Instagram pages, etc., in the show notes. But it's very much not the same organization that Heatwave Radio had been in the past. We started from basically just an idea. And over several years, I mean, we started back in, what, 2014? And now it's 2022. Over the course of eight years, we've gone from an idea to an initiative, to a radio station, to a media conglomerate, you could say. And while Heatwave has certainly always had its ups and downs, it's also always had passionate students behind it, and it's always stood for student engagement and encouraging students to get their voice out there, which... You know, many of you listening to this probably won't know very much about the culture of UBC Okanagan, but venues for students to express themselves 
aren't abundant by any stretch. It's, it's really important that students have these outlets and these platforms like Heatwave Media. If you're on campus, if you are at UBC Okanagan right now, I definitely encourage you to check out and try to get involved with Heatwave Media. Yeah, I can say from experience that it is a great organization and I think it has a bright future. If you're not at UBCO or you're not in Kelowna, then I still encourage you to take some time to look around and see if there are any, you know, local campus and community radio stations or even just media organizations around where you live. Because it may not seem like much at first, but everything starts somewhere and Every celebrity you see on TV, every person who is on the news, everyone who has a TV show, all of those people, everyone started somewhere. And it's important that people have those opportunities. So I just wanted to round out this episode by playing for you guys a few of the responses when I asked the question, what do you think is the importance of heatwave radio. This is a really hard question to ask. Really what I wanted to say is what do you think is in heatwave radio's future, but it's such a it's a much broader question than that because what I really want to know is what does campus and community radio mean to you? What does heatwave mean to you? I think community and campus radio in Kelowna and honestly just generally in the Okanagan is very untapped. There's Peach City Radio in Penticton, but aside from that, I'm not aware of any other community or campus radio station anywhere like in the BC interior. And community radio provides such a great opportunity for people of all backgrounds to have a voice and a platform. And that's something that I really wanted to see more of during my time at UBCO. I felt like there was a really large underrepresentation, like that was a weird way to say it, but uh, an underrepresentation of the student voice on campus. And I think that I, I'm, I haven't been on campus in a while, aside from just events with the esports club, but I, I still feel that that's a really untapped market and something that's really important for the student body to have. So I, I believe as long as there are students that have something that they want to say, there will be a future for Heatwave. It just might come in waves. Um, when I left, I thought that Heatwave was like on the brink of finally getting its name out there and getting on the radio. And I'm not sure if that's a thing yet. But if not, I still have hope that Heatwave can do this because like it's it's community radio and it's such a needed resource. And I think the more people that know about it, the better Heatwave will do. I have checked. I, I've gone online to see if they were doing anything, and they certainly changed direction over the last couple of years. But, you know, maybe it was just meant to be for a season. And that's okay, too. That's okay, too. Everybody has their own interests, and if students just didn't want to keep it going or didn't have the dedication... it. I will say this, Jeff, and I'm sure you realized it, especially as you get into the latter couple of years in you know, in your undergrad studies. The first couple of years, it's just adjusting to being in a university and getting used to certain course load and all that. But as you get a little further down, you got to take, you got to buckle down. You know, if you want to graduate and you want to grad and, and you take it seriously of, of what you want to do when you graduate, you got to buckle down. So it's hard to have extracurricular activities when you're trying to do that. So that's what I always found as well as people got a little further into their studies. It, it was a challenge to do all the work that's involved in keeping a radio station going. So, you know, if they just didn't have students to do it and they didn't have the same commitment, then maybe the season it was just time for the season to end. And, and that's okay. That's okay. And with that, we'll shut the door on this season of Heatwave Radio and also on this season of Classic Movies Live. 
Thank you, as always, everybody, for listening. And especially thank you for listening to this very different episode. This was a very important project to us, uh, me especially. And it took a long time to put together. But we had a lot of people who were very excited to be a part of it. And I hope that that passion has been communicated. I really hope you guys have enjoyed learning about Heatwave Radio. And for anyone who is near enough to Kelowna to engage with Heatwave Media, I hope that you've learned about something that you can get involved with. I hope that students at UBCO get to hear this as well. Several of the people that we interviewed today have public personas. Specifically, you can find more of Tyron Lake over at twitch.tv, Plays, P-I-E-R-A-Z-Z-P-L-A-Y-S, and Effia Asante, who was for a time the social media manager at Heatwave. Since she's been at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, she's been involved with CJSR, their local student radio station, where she is one of the hosts on Gaywire, which you should check out. The name of the show is Gaywire, and the name of the radio station is CJSR. Of course, I will link to both of those along with the current social media links for Heatwave Media and anything else that I may have forgotten to mention. All of that will be in the show notes. All of the interviews we did today, we only were able to use snippets, so I will put up the full interviews in a bonus episode in the next couple of days, which I'd encourage you to listen to because a lot of the, what I would consider some of the most interesting stuff wasn't even able to be put into this episode. So I I really think it's going to be a very fun experience to listen to the full interviews. And with that, we will be back in the next couple of weeks with more movies and I hope that we can do another episode like this again, though it was a lot of work. So, you know, let us know how you thought about this one, and we will see you next time.